Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your guest, Eddie Samuels. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 81. Our guest this week is Eddie Samuels. Eddie has been soldering and dremeling since the seventh grade. The first thing he built was a simple 7805 MP3 battery charger guided by one of the original Hackaday projects. After that, he was hooked. He went on to get his EE degree at the University of Rochester and worked for a year in the defense industry before moving to San Francisco to work at comma.ai. So, Eddie, what does comma.ai do and what do you do there? Sure. So, comma.ai builds uh, aftermarket self-driving cars. Uh, we're using inexpensive hardware. Uh, our flagship car is the Honda Civic, which is about a $25,000 car. And our system's about on par with uh, Tesla Autopilot right now. So we're getting people on the road with basically a fancy cruise control and a $25,000 car versus uh, Tesla, where your car will cost anywhere from like eighty to 100000 We believe that you know with just more of this hardware out there, bigger data collection machine, we're going to achieve self-driving cars much faster. And the inexpensive hardware is where I come in. So I'm head of hardware. Uh, I'll do I do anything from PCB design to all the CAD and 3D printing for our enclosures. I do all the manufacturing as well as like maintain our uh, three fleet of ve- three vehicles that we have right now. Oh, so you get to turn um, wrenches then too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm taking you know changing batteries and fuses when they blow and uh, oh, you get to do else? the fun stuff. Yeah, I get to do a lot of the fun stuff. I get to, you know, put big gaming PCs in the back of computers and deal with all the inverters that we need for that, um, as well as all of our uh, enclosures that we put all of our hardware in is all 3D printed mainly. So I'm designing all that. And we have four 3D printers in our garage that uh, are just pumping out casings all the time. Are they constantly running? Yeah, constantly running. What, what kind of 3D um, printers do you have? We use a uh, Zortrax M200. What, it's what one kind of the more reliable. Uh, it's it's an FDM. Okay. Uh, it's one of the more reliable FDMs out there. Um, they use like this perforated heated bed, uh, so you get a really good adhesion on like the first layer of your prints, which is usually where your problems come in with FDM. Yeah. So you get like a bad first layer, and then the whole thing just is thrown off. So they have this nice perforated bed that gets a nice uh, set of plastic in into the bed, and prints come out pretty well. And do you print, yeah. I guess the, um, I, I looked at the website, which is comma.ai, which is yeah. the company name, which I guess is convenient. Um, <laughs> is it the enclosure for the Panda, right? So what what is the yeah, Panda? So, okay, so uh, the Panda is the nicest universal car interface ever. So... When uh, George first started reverse engineering cars about two years ago now, he assumed he could just, you know, go on Amazon and buy one of the many what's known as Elm uh, dongles that are on there. There's a lot of these cheap OBD2 dongles that supposedly uh, give you all the CAN data that your car is sending. But that's really not the case. They use really poorly designed hardware and firmware that causes them to drop canned messages and just not send you everything that your car is actually sending. So that's where Panda comes in. Panda gives you everything that your car is uh, sending on the CAN bus. 
the Lynn bus and GM land. G is it the, the bus actually called GM land or is that your yeah. term for it? So G, GM land is a, a single wire can protocol developed by GM. So it, it's some kind sometimes called GM land. There's some I, long ISO to something, something name as well for it. Um, but sometimes <laughs> called GM land, sometimes called single wire can. So Panda has three CAN buses, two LIN buses, which is another single wire uh, protocol, as well as that GM LAN bus. Uh, and most modern cars will have three or even four CAN buses, um, you know, just to have isolated systems and, and be able to not saturate the, the CAN bus itself. Cool. So, so the, the Panda plugs into your OBD port and it sniffs all the data coming across the lines? Yeah, so Panda uh, reads all the data on the CAN bus, and we're able to send it back uh, over Wi-Fi or over USB. We have a 12 megahertz USB connection. You could connect to your computer, or uh, you can link over Wi-Fi to our dash cam app, which is called Schiffer, C-H-F-F-R. And... uh, if you mount your, your phone running our dash cam app shiffer and connect your Panda to the OBD2 port, um, you'll be able to sync up video data from your drive with the CAN messages that your car was sending at that exact time. Ah, interesting. So you can actually get some interesting debug data, too, if you're, exactly. if you're mechanic-y like me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, along with our dash cam app shiffer, uh, we released uh, a tool called Cabana. And Cabana is where you can watch your video and see all of the bytes that your car is actually sending. And you can use that to reverse engineer your own car. Find out which messages uh, mean what in your car, which correspond to the steering angle, which correspond to the gas and brakes and so on. And, uh, yeah, the community has really taken a liking to it. A lot of people are using it to decode the messages their, their cars are sending. That's cool. Yeah. So, so and, oh, sorry. And so the Panda can also inject its own code, right? Or inject its own signals into the bus, right? So out of the box, Panda is a read-only device. Okay. Uh, it is compatible with our open source uh, driving agent called OpenPilot. So if you if you connect it um, to to a device running OpenPilot, it can interface with your car. But out of the box, Panda is a read-only device. Um, yeah. So uh, if you don't mind going into it, uh, can you go a little bit into what's under the hood of the Panda? Sure. So like I said, we got three CAN buses, two LINs, uh, GM LANs. So we have transceivers for all those communication protocols, mm-hmm. which just you know not, knock down the voltages to the correct level. Then we have uh, an ARM M4 doing all the heavy lifting, uh, processing of, of all those messages. Um and then we're using uh, ESP8266, just mo- one of the most beloved Wi-Fi modules out there. It's inexpensive. It's in a lot of projects. Um, it's got uh, an SPI communication line bet- to uh, the RMM4. Hmm. So we have a really high data link between our, you know, the CAN messages coming in and the Wi-Fi sending out. A lot of these other dongles out there are just using, uh, you know, a basic UART wi-fi module and that just it becomes the bottleneck at some point yeah uh, what, what, what speed are you running that spi bus at 
we're running that at 10 megahertz. Okay. Um, yeah, and then uh, the, we, we still have some trouble just receiving Wi-Fi messages and things like that just because Wi-Fi can be a little finicky sometimes. Mm. Um, but over USB, where uh, the, the Panda doesn't miss any beats from your car. So that's where the the real speed comes in. I was about um, to ask is is what makes your the, your dongle not miss the the signals versus the cheaper or just the modules you buy on like eBay. Yeah. So one of those one of the things that slows those modules down is those UART uh, communication lines. We have an actual USB stack running on the ARM M4. Gotcha. Um, written by written by George Hotz. All the all the code is open source for the Panda as well. Um, so the firmware behind it and the Python libraries we use to interface with it are all open source and on github.com slash comai slash panda. Um, so, yeah, one of the other reasons it's so great is we have a really good firmware developer. But uh, we're always looking for more people. If, you, if anyone out there listening is uh, interested <laughs> in coming on to the team and developing some more firmware for Panda, well, we would love to have you. How big is your team? Uh, we have about 10, 10 people now. Okay. Um, we operate a small house in San Francisco, still pretty nimble. Um, yeah, you, ha- you have a chance to make a big impact here just because the team is small still, and we still fulfill a lot of roles. Um, yeah, every individual is doing three to four jobs at least. Sure, the, um, the, the startup culture. Exactly. So, so <laughs> you guys you, understand. You're doing, uh, you're doing like you said you're the hardware lead. Uh, how many other hardware guys are there? It's really just me. Um, I, so I convene a, a little bit with George on design decisions and, you know, major things like that. But I'm, I'm the only hardware guy here. Uh, everyone else is software engineers, machine learning experts, um, and controls engineers, things like that. Yeah, so yeah, kind of, kind of makes sense. A lot of that. I mean, the the, uh, the 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 panda. It seems like the hardware underneath is. Uh, fairly straightforward and stripped down. You know, it seems like it has like every part has its its specific purpose, and a lot of the magic seems to happen in the code, right? Yeah. So th- we we needed this this hardware uh, to write the magical code, but yeah, the the, the it, it's nothing that innovative. I think the major innovation is that we made it so tiny um, and still fast and reliable. But uh, yeah, a lot of the magic comes from you know, really well-written firmware, software, and so on. So, um, um, yeah, some of the, um, like, design decisions and for, like, because you got to hook up to the auto, uh, the automotive bus, right? The power? Like, how dirty is the voltage that you get off, let's say, for the 12-volt power? Yeah. Like, so, it's surprisingly, like, modern cars have pretty clean 12-volt output. I mean, you get some dip when you're starting the car just from your, your starter, uh, so that'll, you know, that'll drop sometimes to about nine volts or something like that. Um, but there's not a whole lot of, of major noise on, uh, modern 12 volt lines anymore. Um, yeah, it's not like a USB on a laptop, right? Which is pretty bad. I mean, we, it's not as clean as that, but we have, no, we those, have like are, a, those, no those are bad. Oh, those get bad. Yeah. Those are like, um, they allow a full half a volt of ripple or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, half a volt, and yeah. and some of them actually use a whole half a volt of ripple. Yeah, <laughs> and you get um, it's even worse when you unplug your your laptop from the wall. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. 
Yeah, when you're plugging stuff in or something, you get those huge spikes. Yeah, we'll, we'll see stuff like that when you first, you know, plug your Panda in. We've been doing a lot of testing on things like that, you know, monitoring all our voltage lines when you slam this thing into your OBD2 connector. Um, but we have a switching power supply on there that can handle about three amps reliably. Um, so the Panda is a car interface, and it's also a really good phone charger. Um we have a special design USB chip on there made by TI that does all of the insane like battery charging requirements for modern phones. Well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, is it running at 3.3 volts or something? Five? Yeah. So we, we have our switching power supply. It uh, takes the 12 down to five, about 5.2 five two, five two to, uh, f- to 5.3 volts. So that mm-hmm. lets us charge phones a little faster. And just uh, straight up five volts, um, and then we have a, a very low noise 3.3 regulator that uh, provides power to the M4 and the ESP. Oh, okay, the so, ESP so, required, yeah, it required this really low noise regulator because uh, we we were seeing this issue uh, during our initial prototypes where every time the ESP emits a Wi-Fi signal, our 3.3 line was just bouncing like crazy. Um, so we found this really nice low noise regulator, and that solved pretty much all our issues. Is that just because the um, the ESP when it transmitted it was pulling more power and dipping the line? Exactly. So, okay, so that power supply um, or that LDO—it's probably an LDO, right? Yep. Yep. It's just We're got tighter uh, line regulation then. Mm. Yeah, it's got tighter line regulations. Uh, you know, you always see. Um, diagrams of what these LDOs are capable of you know, ripple-wise. Um, and this one is able to recover in a, a few microseconds instead of normally they're like 10 to 100 milliseconds. And you got a uh, part number you can you can share it with everyone? Oh, the part number? Let's see. It's, uh, what is it? It was an NVC. I'd have to look it up. I can I can email it to you guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in the uh, the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I highly recommend it, but I don't want too many people buying them. We're going to run out of stock. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but I mean, it, it, you've got everything behind two separate uh, active regulating circuits. I mean, you got, so even if your 12 volts is noisy as crap, you got a switcher that should be able to handle the majority of that noise and then the 3.3, which takes it down to nothing, right? Yeah. Uh, have, yeah you ever, so, uh, have you ever measured the noise to see what it is? Oh yeah, we're we we have a very in-depth test plan. We put pandas through to monitor all kinds of stuff like this. Um, we had a beta program. Uh, Macrofab produced like our Force 100 boards for our uh, beta program a few months ago, um, and since then we've refined the design a lot, kind of gotten all our noise levels much lower. Right now, our our power supplies are all within one percent of their. Uh, recommended value that's pretty standard for a switching power supply that's about mm-hmm. all you can really get to um but yeah we're seeing about you know when the wi-fi module is transmitting now we'll see like 40 millivolts of uh ripple on our 5.5 line or sorry 5.5 volt line and the 3.3 line is practically uh invisible it, it, it's real dc true say DC. that again true dc <laughs> true DC. True DC. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, but you, but you, you also probably also have a lot of bulk capacitance on the output of the regulator, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so we're, uh, you know, Panda is just covered with capacitors. Every every square inch that's free, uh, we put some bulk capacitors. So we're 
just mitigating any noise issues that way. Um, you know what it kind of reminds yeah, she, me of? I, I saw a picture of it on yeah. your, your website earlier today. And um, you know the little uh, USB dongles that you get with a wireless mouse? Uh, yeah. Just the little tiny little plug-in things. It looks like one of those, but a lot larger uh, that plugs into an, an OBD port. Yeah. Yeah, we tried to make it just as tiny as possible because a lot of cars will put their OBD port in really strange places. Mm. Um, and we want to be able to fit in every car, you know, just because it's the nicest car interface. We're going to fit in every car, you know. So the um, CAN, CAN bus or all the other buses that you talk to, um, is there any special considerations you have to do besides just like plop down a transceiver for that specific bus? Um that yeah i mean the the basics of it is you plop down the transceiver but you got to be aware of you know how you're interacting with the transceiver more with the uh firmware because if you're if you're interacting with the transceiver wrong uh you can disable the whole canvas of the car basically so we're really conscious of you know every every way we're listening on the can bus uh so we we saw an issue when we were first plugging in our prototypes into ford cars it was uh affecting the entertainment system that that can module was running at a different speed and our device listening at the wrong speed caused some kind of uh crippling of that of that bus hmm. so we're very conscious of things like that um do lots of testing in order to avoid other issues like that yeah people gotta listen to the radio hmm. so well, actually <laughs> yeah let's, uh, I, was, I guess i guess if you have an auto driving car you gotta do something else besides drive. So you have to yeah. listen to the radio. I saw I saw a video of a guy who was like leaning back and reading a newspaper a little while back, and I, I like I wouldn't be okay with that just yet. You know, I'm uh, maybe I'm old school, but like the the whole driving uh, self driving car, I'm like, yeah, cool, that would be fun, but I'd still want to at least have visibility. You know, I wouldn't want like, yeah. a big book in my face or something. Yeah, like I, I'll drive our cars, you know, down down uh, south sometimes, and I like it because I don't I don't have to focus on you know, gas and brakes and steering. The car is doing that very reliably when you're on the highway. Um, so I'm able to like look around and check out my surroundings even more. I feel like I'm more aware of the cars around me. Uh, you can make way. funny faces as you pass the trucker, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> pass the trucker, but always have your hands on the wheel, not condoning any kind of uh, crazy behavior, you know. <laughs> So, so real quick, um, for those of us who are are not fully up to date on it, can can you just explain what a CAN bus actually is? Probably should have done this earlier. Sure. So the CAN bus is a uh, communication bus that's on every modern vehicle. It's been uh, used for a while and uh, the you know mandated since 1996. Um, so all your vehicle ECUs are communicating on this bus. It's a differential pair protocol, which is uh, good for noisy environments like cars because you don't need a reference to ground. You determine what bits are being sent uh, just from the, the differences in, the, in this pair of wires. So the nice thing about CAN is that you can listen uh, without any modules really knowing. Any modules on the car can be sending. They don't know who they're sending the, a message to because it's a bus and everyone can listen. So we're able to use that feature of the the bus to capture all this data that your car is sending and mm -hmm. analyze it. 
Yeah. And like the Lin bus is similar, but it's a, it's a 12 volt protocol though. Uh, can is about 2.5 to 5 volts, and Lin is uh, 12 to zero. They're they're using uh, just a single wire, so there's a lot more room for error in the uh, in that voltage range, um, and it's much slower slower speed for that reason. Modern can runs like anywhere from 125 to 125 kilobit per second to one megabit per second. Um, and your Lin bus will run at like 10.4 K. Oh, that's slow. Yeah, it's pretty slow. So uh, most, the, the transceiver yeah. chips do you, that you have in the uh, in the Panda are they specific for CAN? Yeah, we're using um, uh, what company are we using? We're using it's a TJA 1048. Um, it's NXP is makes our transceiver. Uh, Oh, that was our dual. Sorry, we were using that chip before. I think now now we're using the 1042 for anyone who, who really cares. TJA 1042. Uh, it comes in a small package, which is good for Panda because Panda is small. Hmm. Um, it's kind of rare to find these transceivers in the, the nice QFN packages that we need. Yeah, most of the Panda. ones I've seen are SOICs. Yeah, there's a lot of SOICs. Our GM Land transceiver only comes in an SO, SOIC, which really bummed me out for a while. Um, hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because, like, the space is not really an issue in where CAN is is used because uh, it's, it's used in cars and, like, large industrial equi- equipment where you have a lot of space to mount large circuit boards. The, we're kind of changing the use case of it by making this tiny device that is still capable of, of communicating on all these buses. Awesome. Um, yeah. What else we use? Yeah, we're using that, that TJ 1042, uh, NXP also makes our Lin transceiver. Um, we found a QFN dual Lin transceiver. Um, most cars use Lin to, uh, flash ECUs. You're able to flash things like your steering controller, uh, brake module over LIN in, a, in, in modern cars. Updating the uh, firmware, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you can update the firmware. So that, like when you bring your car in for a firmware update, that's how they're doing all that. Um, and we, we play around with stuff like that, uh, for instance, to increase the torque limit on our, our Honda Civic. Um, we were able to just change one line of the the steering controller firmware and get 6% more torque that we were able to uh, put on the steering wheel. Um, so that allows us to make a little a little sharper turns when you're using open pilot, hmm. um, but still still a very safe limit. You're still able to counteract any any torque that our system is putting on the steering wheel. Um, yeah, but Panda just gives us the opportunity to to play with all these different interfaces that your car has. Uh, we have some people uh, porting our the Open Pilot system to other vehicles. Uh, someone's working on the Chevy Volt. Uh, a few people are porting it to uh, a hardware. Wa- uh, sorry, not hardware. Uh, non autopilot Tesla. Some people are working on putting Open Pilot on an old Tesla. Um, oh, I thought yeah, old we- Teslas could have it. I guess. The older ones just don't have the the brain power, huh? Yeah, the the older ones don't have any of the hardware sensors? to really. Yeah, they don't have the sensors or the gotcha. brain power. Yeah. Hmm. You, you you had an open call for people to test uh, vehicles, right? 
Yeah, we have uh, a few bounties still online. Uh, if you go to comma.ai slash bounties, uh, let's see, let me confirm that. Comma AI slash bounty, no, that does not exist. Maybe bounties, I uh, yes. Anyway, we have a few cars up there uh, that uh, you can you can make about five to ten k on if you if you port our system to that car and make a pull request to our open source system, uh, OpenPilot. And we want people to kind of develop this community around our open source driving agent and just get it out on more vehicles. That's really cool. Yeah. What uh, uh, what uh, do you have up on the bounty page? Do you remember what cars you're looking for right now? He's uh, Steven's probably looking to see if his car is on there. Yeah. Yeah. You, do, you, do you have a 2008 Toyota Tacoma? I doubt that's up there. <laughs> Toyota Tacoma is not on there. If it's 2017, maybe, maybe we could get our system on there. So we need a, we need a, a few things to make OpenPilot work on other vehicles. You need. Uh, your steering controller over can mm-hmm. and braking gas on can. So all all these modern cars that have ACC and uh, what's called lane keep assist a lot. You'll see different acronyms for that. Uh, LCAS or there's a few others I'm forgetting right now. But if if your car comes with those systems, we're able to interface with them. Yeah, and all it, of the new Toyotas do. Yeah, because the um, uh, my Jeep. Yeah, it won't work. No. <laughs> yeah, I've heard, I've heard you talk about your Jeep a lot on here, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, you, your your Jeep is, is, no elect- is analog. There's no electronic anything on it. Yeah, it's very analog. <laughs> how, many, how many miles on that thing? Um, Just went over 207,000 miles. Whoa. That was yeah. just but not on the same engine. No, not on the same engine. It's got a, oh, you replaced the, the engine. Yeah, I had the engine rebuilt uh, 15,000 miles ago. So Wow. So that's true. Love miles. you love yeah. love this car. Oh, it's a it's a really fun car. <laughs> it sounds fun. Um. So yeah. yeah so um. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add about Panda and Comma.ai? Uh, let's see. Pandas are still available for pre-order. Uh, if you go to Panda.Comma.ai, you can uh, uh, reserve your spot. We'll be shipping in a few more weeks. Here, we're working with you guys, Macrofab, to do all of our manufacturing which is exciting. Um, we got our first batch of 100 in from you guys, did some final testing and just doing final assembly in-house. Firing um, up the 3D printers? Yep, we got the 3D printers going. We're sanding all the 3D printed cases to give you a nice smooth finish. It's a quality product. <laughs> uh, Panda is a high-quality, amazing product. And you the should nicest. reserve yours now. It's the nicest ever. <laughs> so I was, I was looking at your website, um, Eddie, earlier today. Yeah. Um, you haven't updated since you graduated. Yeah, I have not updated my personal website in a while. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, mine, mine is like the same way. <laughs> um, so I was looking at some of You just kind of forget about these things. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah. Well, it's just, you know. They become less important. Well, yeah, yeah. your your passion, comma.ai or, or macrofab, whatever, just dominates everything yeah. at that point. Right. Um, but so I was looking at your underwater rover project. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So talk more about that. Sure. Uh, so that was a project I did uh, the summer between my junior and senior year. Uh, I was in a program sponsored by 
uh, Lockheed Martin. Uh, it was this New York Space Grant program. And we were given the opportunity to work at Lockheed Martin. Uh, it was a project funded by NASA. So we had to have some kind of link to space in some way. So we decided to build this underwater rover. So, sort of had some loose ties to space. Um, but we were using, it was all Arduino-based. We were using bilge pumps to propel the thing. Uh, we had a, a first-person view camera, so you could you could drive it around in your pool or whatever. We 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 never did any real ocean testing, only pool testing. Um, we had a camera up there, and then there was a tether back to a buoy that would float on the water, and we had a wireless link from that buoy to a Arduino-based controller uh, that you could use to drive this around. And we had to use the buoy because RF just doesn't really work underwater. No, it unless doesn't. Unless mm-hmm. like super low frequency. Um, but yeah, we were, we ran into a ton of issues just like sealing this thing. Um, we would take high, it underwater. High IP ratings are not easy to get. Yeah, it was not easy. Like we had, it was PVC tube, a giant PVC tube, and then we had this clear dome that we tried to glue to the the front and still have a watertight seal and it was just never never perfect you know it would be it would be good uh at a certain depth of the water and then you bring it under a little more and the the pressure is just too great it would find some leak in our seal Mm. and get in there um we had a leak detector in there so that when it started to fill with water it would shut off the lithium-ion battery uh, so we didn't have any explosions ever. So how but did the uh, leak detector work? The, the, we we had two like small strips of aluminum foil tape that we had on the bottom of the PVC tube, and that went to the transistor circuit that would uh, disable the relay whenever those two contacts were closed by water. Ah, so when it, yeah, basically yeah. whenever they they contacted, they just opened up that relay. Cool. Exactly. It's a yeah, really, yeah, it, it worked. Brute force it kinda, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was brute force. It worked for a, a simple two-month project. How often did that uh, thing trip? That was tripping quite a bit. We'd get, we'd go under for about ten minutes, and then that thing would trip, and our 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 test would be over. <laughs> <laughs> it was very frustrating. Um, yeah, if you if you're ever building underwater rovers. Use a sealed project box if if possible. <laughs> yeah, if you Don't can buy an off-the-shelf solution, it's way easier. Oh, you probably can yeah. go to you know Hammond Manufacturer and just get the the rover module, right? The you know they rover. probably do have something. Like <laughs> yeah, <that>. the <laughs> Hammond project box rover version. Yeah, yeah. rover. <laughs> Next, really cool. next week, they're going yeah. to have a new product announcement. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's listening, uh, yeah. taking yeah. all our ideas. Exactly. And then um, more in line with what you're currently doing, your electric Jetta. Yeah. It looks like you put a Warp so, 9 motor in it. I was just looking at the yeah. pictures. Is that, am I yep. right? Cool. Yeah, you got a good eye. How do you know the Warp 9? Um, I've been doing a lot of research on what I want because I do a lot of project vehicles. And so yeah. my next one I want to do is electric, at least thinking about it. And so I've been looking at motors. Cool. Project vehicles like... My Jeep just, is a it, constant project. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> you have all kinds of electronics on it. No, no, just fixing it up and stuff. Well, so it's like I'm looking for the next, you know, when the Jeep is, you know, quote, unquote, done. Um, 
because project yeah. vehicles are never done. <laughs> yeah, you only just stop working. On yeah, it. you just stop working on it. <laughs> <laughs> you just stop and get tired of. It. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was in high school still. I saw I was a subscriber to Make Magazine, and one of the early issues had a a section on electric vehicle conversions. They made it seem really simple. You just take out your gas engine, throw in your electric motor, bunch of batteries in the trunk, and your motor controller under the hood, and you got your electric car. Um, so I, I convinced my dad to, to find a shop to help us convert this vehicle. So we bought an old manual Jetta, um, bought all the parts, and with the help from a few mechanics and uh, a small company in St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, we had this conversion done. And we drove it around for about about a year. There were always some bugs. There was the, one of the more difficult parts is getting a good mate between the electric motor and the transmission of the car. You need to fabricate like a custom coupler that connects yep. the two. And this thing has to be perfect because if there's any wobble, it just, you know, gets worse and worse over time every time you run this thing. Hmm. So we started to run into mechanical issues at that point um, and ended up uh, finding someone who had done a similar conversion to take the car on and fix it up. And he ended up selling it to someone else. Um, so it's, it still lives today, but uh, in a much different form. How much range we, uh, did you get out of it? We were we were going only about forty or fifty miles because um, we had twelve huge lead acid batteries in the trunk. <laughs> a couple hundred we pounds of batteries. Hole. Yeah, it was a lot of batteries. One hundred forty-four volts. We cut a hole in the trunk and built this custom battery box out of steel that, like, you know, had the batteries sit a little lower to help with the center of gravity of the car. Uh, but it's still just a ton of weight to, yeah, to get rolled. That's yeah, that's what people don't realize with EV conversions is the motor weighs a lot less than right. the engine and an ICE engine in a vehicle, but the batteries end up yeah. weighing two three hundred pounds more hmm. than everything than basically the curb weight that, of the vehicle was originally. Right, and then you, and you're it's in the complete opposite space that it's supposed to be. Yeah, right. So your front end is sticking up, and the back is just leaning behind. Hmm. Yep. Um. Yeah, that was that was a, a crazy project. Learned a lot from that. That was uh, a good lesson on, you know, a whole a whole bunch of electronics. <laughs> How old were you when you did this? Um, this was like my sophomore year of high school, so I was like seventeen or eighteen. I just learned to drive and was just uh, addicted to the idea of making this conversion because like electric vehicles weren't really common then. Um, you know, you had a few Tesla roadsters out there, but everything else was, uh, very low range. And a lot of the cars, uh, they'd be produced like Toyota had a electric RAV4 that they produced early on. And then they ended up like crushing them all. <laughs> There's a few cars like that. GM had one as well. There's this movie called the, the death of the electric car, I think. And uh, they tell this whole story about how GM produced this EV1, it was called. And they had like three-year leases on these electric vehicles. Everyone loved them. And then when the leases were up, they just crushed them all. (laughs) (laughs) 
the the revenge of the electric car. That was what it's called. Ah, yeah. Because I think I think I've seen the death of the electric car. I forget. I think, I think maybe there's two different documentaries. Yeah, maybe there's two. Let's see. The Revenge of the Electric Car has the first hit on Google from 2011. That sounds right. Yeah. I get, yeah. But yeah, a lot, lot, lot to talk about there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, and so I guess we're going to go and play Steve's game. Yeah, what's this game? I I don't I forget. Okay, so so um, this is a new bit that we we added. Actually, last week was the the first time we did Steve's game. Uh, it's it's a it's a simple game that we play with uh, all of our guests now. Uh, so this meaning this week, one. Well, yeah, yeah, uh, all of our guests so far. <laughs> so one guest has done it. Okay, I'm yeah, number one, two. So you, you, yeah, you're number two on on Steve's game. So uh, this week I'm going to do it just a tad bit different. What I'm going to do is I'm going to present the game to you, and then I'm going to tell a little bit of a story uh, so that you can have a little bit of time to think about the game, uh, and then and then we'll all we'll all answer the game. So the way the game goes is I'm going to present a scenario to you, and then ask you a question about the scenario. Uh, and it's just, okay. there's no wrong answer. Uh, and it's more fun to just see like, how does your mind think about the scenario? Okay. So, so here's the scenario. There's a tube and there's a ball inside the tube. Okay. You need to get the ball out of the tube. How do you do it? Okay. Uh-huh. So, so he, here's the story that goes behind this one. So give you some time to think about it. So I was actually asked this question by a professor of mine at Texas A&M when I was going to school there. Um, There was one summer that I took uh, summer classes just to kind of get some stuff out of the way. And one of the classes was a complete bullshit class. Uh, and it was, it was literally, I think it was called like thinking. I was like, actually, I'll say, did you do underwater <laughs> basket weaving? It was very close to, to, to that quality. No, no, seriously. How did the underwater basket weaving <laughs> become so prolific? That's always the go to. Yeah, it's a story it, behind that. Because of tubes Sorry. and balls. <laughs> tubes and balls. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay, so, so this class was really, it was ridiculous. It was an instantaneous A. Uh, l- let's just put it this way the first class, our, our professor actually had us take a nap as like that was our assignment so it was a huge auditorium and it was meant to be one of these things where we all kind of get in there and we just like find new ways to think about things uh Uh and and one of the classes he presented uh, the professor to a class of like 700 people was like you got a tube and there's a ball in the tube and he put us in groups of four and he said come up with a solution to get it out of the tube and the thing that was funny about is all of us are sitting there like this we're all coming up with like contraptions and, and, and things. And we're like, actually like trying really hard here and there's no wrong answer to this question. And the professor was going from, from group to group, uh, hearing, uh, solutions. And I don't remember at the time what our solution was in the group, but he literally leans down and he goes, you know what I would do? I'd pee in the tube until the ball comes out. And we (laughs) we were all like, really? Like, (laughs) really? That's your solution? I didn't know we could do that. Was yeah. this professor old? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, pro- yeah, professor, <laughs> professor Graybeard, <laughs> professor Graybeard. One of those professors that just does not care anymore. Yeah, no, he doesn't care. He knows his class is an instantaneous A. He's there for a paycheck, regardless. <laughs> uh, 
it was it was still kind of fun and that stuck with me because it was just like this is the the most ridiculous thing uh ever but so i I will give you a a solution that i came up with so yeah just just for fun what i would do is i would drill a hole at the bottom of the tube and i would fill it with gunpowder and i would blow the hell out of the the (laughs) ball and shoot it out like so you make a potato cannon basically yeah basically Wow. But 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 knowing me, I would actually make the gunpowder. I I used to do that with my dad in my backyard. We used to gri- grind our own gunpowder. Uh, just what do you start with? There's like a brick of uh, just gun. You take a gun <laughs> like a and you gun grind it up brick. until it's gunpowder. So so my my mother is a is a legal teacher in the state of Texas. So she can buy chemicals that are not uh, particularly available to the Joe Schmo. Uh, so I used to just tell her, Mom, buy me a bottle of sulfur. Mom, buy me potassium nitrate. You know, and so you get a charcoal briquette, uh, potassium nitrate and sulfur, and you mix them all together, and bam, you got gunpowder. So. Bam, literally. And then add, add you know, add... <laughs> bam, literally. Yeah, no, add some titanium or add uh, chromium, and you got different colors. You can make fireworks yeah. and things like that, so... It's cool. Yeah, so cool. I'd, I would make oh. a cannon out of it. See, I think nowadays you can nice. buy all that on Amazon. Or at Home Depot. Yeah, How did, I, it's got to be some regulation about shipping that stuff around. Uh, oh, no, it's they already just, mixed up. No, they just they just put it on ground, ground shipping. It'd be fine. Yeah. Oh, uh, and then you're yeah. okay. No one asks questions. Yeah. yeah. People no are too worried asks. about lithium batteries. So yeah, I, they're really worried about that. Let's yeah. let's let's go round robin and let's do let's do Parker next. Oh, I was listening to cool. a story. I wasn't really thinking about the solution. <laughs> <laughs> um. Is it, is, I guess it doesn't really matter. It, the, I would just squeeze the tube. Sure. Uh, yeah. So if the tube was flexible, I guess you can just go whoop. Yeah. <laughs> that, so all yeah, the listeners didn't work. get to see my hand motion I did for that. Uh, I think I think the sound effect is m- <laughs> more than adequate to understand what was going on. That's there. a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, um, so Eddie, you got you got an idea? Yeah, I'm, so I'm really into laser cutting right now. We recently got a laser cutter. Um, so I, I think I'd have to go with the laser cutter. We need some nice way to mount it in there. Otherwise, it'd keep rolling around when the plotter's moving. But running our laser cutter is a blast. It really pisses off everyone in the office because it smells terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'd go with that. Cool. So you just cut, cut it open where the ball's at? Yeah, cut it open where the ball's at, you know, maybe cut the ball up too, make it a little easier to get out. Yeah. And yeah, there's no, no, um, nothing to say that the ball can't be cut, so. Well, yeah. and, and, and on top of that, well, I like the kind of questions like this where I didn't explain how big the tube is, I didn't explain yeah. how small the ball is, it doesn't matter. It was more about, like, how did you interpret it and how did your yeah. mind think Yeah, I mean, the it. tube might be open for all we know. We could just tilt it. could just it tilt it and, and pour it out. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if, if our listeners... To get the swag for this week, send in an answer to that question. Oh, that's a good one. Instead of a code word this week, yeah, send in an Whoa. answer to to uh, Steve's game for this week. Uh, Man, send it in to podcast at macrofab.com along with your address, and we'll send some cool swag your way. Yep, nice. So, am Eddie. I still eligible to win, to win that? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually we actually included all the swag. That um, we, we that's true. I got have, all the swag. You, I really yeah. like the T-shirt. You get the, the custom guest up. T-shirt. No one else. Yeah. Uh, no well, one else it, really gets it's that. It's got a little guest. bit of beer smell on it, but you know. Yep. The for all the listeners out there, the uh, the box I got had some beers in it with the microphone, and one did explode. <laughs> um, 
San Francisco UPS is not very nice. Did the uh, macro watch show up? Yeah, the macro watch is cool. I like that. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. I think you're the first guest to get one. Oh, really? Mainly because wow. we didn't have any. I feel so special. <laughs> who, who designed that, that watch? That was be me. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It looked very cool. I want to check it out under the microscope. Ah, cool. We built that, too, so. <laughs> nice. You check out our uh, yeah. manufacturing quality, I guess. Oh, yeah. I've been doing that all week. It's very top-notch. No. <laughs> ah. So, ah. so, Eddie, where can uh, people find out more about you and comma.ai? Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter, at EdSammy, uh, E-D-S-A-M-M-Y. Uh, I usually post some updates on Panda Manufacturing there, so if you're awaiting your Panda, and have sent us emails asking about it. Check out Twitter. You'll see some updates. Um, you can check out comma AI on Twitter, uh, comma underscore AI. And, um, yeah, we usually post updates there, what we're doing, where we stand. If we're doing any software updates to OpenPilot, uh, feel free to check out our GitHub, uh, github.com slash comma AI. You can find Panda Software, OpenPilot, and all kinds of other stuff that's democratizing self-driving cars. Oh, cool. So you want to sign us out, Eddie? Sure. That was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, and I was your guest, Eddie Samuels. And we were your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with your fellow engineers, coworkers, or friends. They might not be friends after you do that, though. Um, but if you have a cool idea, project, topic that you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet at us at Macrofab or email us at podcast at Macrofab.com. There's a lot of ats there. Um, <laughs> if you are not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest MEP episode right when it releases. And we'd love to... Uh, and we'd love it if you would review us on Twitter or iTunes, one of those things. <laughs>